0: Let us pray together. O Lord, open to us the mysteries of your holy and ancient word, and help us to claim those words as our own, and help us to honor our own words as we pray to you in all kinds of situations. O Lord, hear our prayers and accept our thoughts about you this morning. Amen. It's conventional wisdom that creative things, art, music, poetry, they have the capacity to move us to feelings and experiences that are different than ordinary words. Too often, the psalms do not do that. Psalms have become domesticated and regular. They are the stuff of routine recitation in a predictable church service. We pray these responses assigned by the pastor each week, barely thinking about them, waiting for the real scripture lesson that will be the subject of the sermon. Psalms say some nice things about God, we think, and so it's nice to read them in church. And that's about it. Some of you may have even noticed that when Psalms say things that are not nice, we skip those verses. That's unfortunate. In fact, it's wrong. Today I hope to help you rediscover that the Psalms are poetry. They are creative energy that is meant to move us to feel and think and live in faith. And not only that, but the Psalms are poetry written by real people, people like you and me, people who loved and were hurt and who felt things deeply, just like you do. Let's start with a few examples. Some of the psalms are what you might expect. They are nice words about God. The book of psalms begins with these nice words in psalm number one. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. Psalm 84, which we read together this morning, might belong in that same category. It's beautiful opening lines. How lovely is thy dwelling place there, the setting for a choral work by Brahms. The members of our Knox choir know it well. Some psalms are more complicated than that. I admitted before, the church has an unfortunate history of ignoring the lines that don't sound nice. Psalm 139, which we read often, begins beautifully with the words, O Lord, you have searched me and known me, and continues, I praise you, O God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And we always skip the verses that say, "Oh, that you would kill the wicked, O God, and that the bloodthirsty would depart from you. Two chapters earlier, Psalm 137 is even more nasty. O daughter Babylon, you devastator, it reads. Happy shall they be who pay you back, Babylon, for what you have done to us. Happy shall they be who take your little ones and dash them against the rock. This is the Bible? There is real hatred here. What's going on? Let's back up for a moment and look at some broad strokes of what is going on in the book of Psalms. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann writes that the Psalms can be roughly divided into three types. First, there are what he calls Psalms of Orientation. These psalms represent our early foundations of faith and morality. They say the kinds of things we teach to our children and that we believe when we are young. Good and faithful people will prosper. The wicked will not succeed. People who do justice and act in love will be repaid in kind and they will be happy. These lessons are worth hearing. They are words worth living by and they are true. Sometimes. But sometimes these things are not true. As we grow and mature, we realize that sometimes tragedy strikes, even when it is not deserved. We suffer through a life-changing illness or an accident. We lose a child. We struggle with addiction or depression This week here at Knox, we once again house homeless people in our church because our city does not know how to have a productive conversation about homelessness. Life does not make sense, folks. For these times, there are different psalms. A second type of psalms that Brueggemann calls psalms of disorientation. These psalms come from the times in life when we suffer and struggle, when we question faith or lose it altogether and refuse to believe. When Jesus cries out in the Garden of Gethsemane before his arrest, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did not make up those words. He is quoting Psalm 22. Apparently someone else had felt that kind of sadness before. There are a third kind of psalms. Most of us know someone, usually an older person, someone who has some life experience. Perhaps you are aware of the struggles or losses in that person's life. You know that they once went to war, that they endured bankruptcy or lost their business or faced criminal charges where they have lost the love of their life. And yet they are not lost. They seem at peace, wiser than the rest of us, capable of hope and generosity and happiness, even in spite of the suffering they have known. This third kind of psalms... Is written by the group of people I'm describing. They are called Psalms of Reorientation. They are written by people who have been up against a test and have discovered faith on the other side of the struggle. It's a richer, deeper faith learned through experience. In psalms of reorientation, we read ancient words like, You, O God, have redeemed my life from the pit and have set me back on a level place. Maybe it would be nice if all of us prayed only these psalms of reorientation. If all of us were people of mature faith and emotion at peace, With the times of struggle, but life is not like that. Some of you are disoriented today, some of you are deeply troubled today by the suffering of somebody else. There is a place for prayer that talks about deep sadness and anger. It moves us to act when things are not the way they are supposed to be. When we are overcome with our own grief or fear, poetry and prayer allows us to give voice to these emotions. It may not sound very Christian to cry out to God to punish one's enemies, Then again, I would argue it's better to place those feelings in God's hands than to bottle them up inside until you work them out with your own hands. Church is not supposed to hide bad feelings. It is supposed to provide a healthy outlet for them. Even those simpler psalms of orientation have their place. They are not just naive. We need places in life where we experience beauty, where we celebrate the good, where we rejoice in a good future that God is preparing, and do so without the darkness of life overshadowing us. When our celebrating is over, the darkness will still be there. Now, with that background, let's look together this morning at Psalm 84, and I'm going to read through this psalm a verse or two at a time, so you're welcome to pick up your Bible again and follow along with me. The psalm begins with this beautiful phrase, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord God of hosts! If you're wanting some historical context for the psalm some information about where it comes from the obvious question seems to be where is god's dwelling place who can tell me don't be afraid to just shout it out in ancient israel where is god's dwelling place the temple thank you very much the temple in jerusalem is where god dwells in ancient israel it was the place where all of religious life found its center, it was understood that God's presence could be found there. The psalm continues, My soul longs, indeed it faints, for the courts of the Lord, another name for the temple. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. So this person loves and desires the presence of God. And it seems that there are at least a couple of possibilities about this longing. Some scholars have argued that this person is on their way to the temple, that they are on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and they cannot wait to get there. Alternatively, I wonder if maybe they cannot get there. Maybe Psalm 84 was written by someone unable to make the journey or who wondered if they would go there and find themselves unworthy of God's presence. Maybe it was written during the Babylonian exile. Jerusalem went through a period when they were attacked and the temple destroyed and all of the Israelites were taken away to live as exiles, as refugees in Babylon. This might be a song of deep sadness written by a person who has not felt the presence of God in a long time. Have you ever worried about that? This may be a song written by someone who cannot get to the temple because they have been forcibly removed from their own home. How many people in our world are living that reality today? That's the kind of emotional weight that gets lost when we treat these psalms as routine religious recitations on the way to the more important Bible lesson. Between the lines of these psalms are the real lives of spiritually hungry people maybe on their way to see the Lord, but maybe feeling unable or unsure of how to get there, and they cry out to God for help. Perhaps for the writer of this psalm, things aren't so bad. Is it a time of real disorientation? Probably not. Compare it to that Psalm 137, which we know comes from the period of exile. O daughter Babylon, you devastator. Happy shall they be who pay you back, Babylon, for what you have done to us. Happy shall they be who take your little ones and dash them against the rock. That's a psalm of disorientation. That person is so overcome with anger and hatred that they want to hurt the innocent people, the innocent children of their imperial oppressors. We've all had times in our lives, I imagine you have had times where you have thought and even said awful things. Sometimes... You meant those things, even though you knew they were wrong. Other times you didn't mean them, but you were so angry you just couldn't help yourself. Psalm 137 comes from that place, and it is a real place. And it is a place that needs God's help. Psalm 84 is real in a different way. There is longing and maybe sadness here, but the longing is grounded in a desire to be back in God's presence and a real hope that that will happen. Things will get better. The psalm continues with words that show us why this person is hopeful. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. Happy are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. My King and my God. That's who this person is praying to. Even if this person feels distant from God's presence right now, even though she may have reason to doubt God, she chooses to call the Lord my King and my God. You, God, she says, you are the sovereign power of the universe and the center of my personal life. I know that to be true. This person knows trust in God is the foundation of happiness in spite of every message we get to the contrary. Real security, hope for the future, confidence that things will get better even in the face of struggle, this is mature faith. These words have creative power, the power to bring about change in one's life because we give voice to the ways we are suffering. No matter who else seems to be in charge, the Lord is my King and my God. One test of a good psalm is, does it make you want to say yourself what the psalmist is saying? Do you want to say what we hear in verses 8 through 10? O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God, Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of wickedness. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Do you feel like you can say that? It's my hunch that most of us would pray more often if we really trusted that our prayers are heard and will be answered. Unfortunately, life is so full of people and things that make us feel like our voice does not matter and that our requests will not be answered. And when it comes to God, who we have not seen in the flesh, much greater faith is needed to trust that we are being heard, that God cares and listens and will answer us when we pray. Psalms inspire me because these writers speak. They speak out and they believe in the power of their own speech. Words carry power. They do. There's an analogy I use often. I use it with new members getting ready to answer the questions of membership. I use it with church officers getting ready to answer ordination questions. Or anyone who asks me why I'm always asking you to say statements of faith in our worship services. A preacher named Tom Long says that speaking to God that making confessions about what you believe, it's like falling in love. If you love someone, at some point you have to take a leap and say, I love you. It's risky. You may not be sure about how you feel. You may not know what you'll hear in return. But if you don't say it, If you don't give it voice, the power of those words will never have a chance to grow and change over years and decades of commitment. The words, I love you, mean something completely different on a 50th anniversary. But if you never say them the first time, you will never begin to know. It all begins only if you are willing to speak. The people who wrote the Psalms were people who were willing to speak, no matter what they were feeling. They pray, and they pray honestly, and they don't care if it sounds good. They lift up their voices in anger and fear when things are at their worst. They demand from God a more merciful world and a more hopeful tomorrow. They believe that their voice matters and will be heard because they believe that God can be trusted and loves them. And that's why Psalm 84 ends with the words, For the Lord God is a sun and shield He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord God of hosts, happy is everyone who trusts in you. This person who is still far off from being back in that temple of God, they know that God will protect them and will one day lead them home. I saved one part of the psalm for the end. You might have noticed I skipped over it. In verses 6 and 7, a small detail brings home an important point. It says this, as they go through the valley of Bacah, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. The Valley of Baca. Nobody knows where it is. Biblical scholars who have studied this for generations have no idea. And I mention that detail because while I've provided some basic context this morning and grounded this psalm in a potential time and place, expert information is not what the psalms are about. A psalm is a song. It's a work of poetry, a work of art, of expression. And the question is not whether you understand every word of it. The question is, does it move you to trust God more? Does it move you to long, as the psalmist does, to be in God's presence? The fact that no expert knows where Bacchah is, reminds us that you don't have to be an expert in order to pray. These are the words of ordinary people. People who seek faith just like you and me. I believe God will hear your prayers just like God heard theirs. If you long for a faith that can speak any honest word... To a God who will listen. If you long for a God who can withstand criticism and anger, doubt and lack of faith. Who will love you back into the relationship when you have gone astray and said the wrong thing. A God who will never give up on you. And whose presence can be found. If you long to meet people who have those same longings and have given them a voice. You can find them in the Psalms. Amen.